Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today I'm joined by Dr. Dan Putnam. Dr. Putnam is a cooperative extension specialist and experiment station scientist at UC Davis for alfalfa and forage cropping systems and chair of the UC alfalfa work group. His position entails statewide responsibilities for extension and research activities related to alfalfa and forage crops. His lists of accomplishments are long but include current chair of the Alfalfa Symposium and past president of the National Alfalfa Forage Testing Association, founding member of the California Alfalfa and Forage Association. Dr. Putnam has consulted around the world in Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, China, India, and several other countries on topics related to hay production, storage, and marketing. His lists of published works go back to 1985. And in short, Dr. Putnam is an expert in all things hay and forage related. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Putnam. Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. We'll start with how the World Alfalfa Congress got started. The um, uh, World Alfalfa Congress started out about 10 years ago when several of us uh, were visiting with uh, European and Australian and and Chinese uh, scientists about alfalfa. And the Chinese in particular were very interested in uh, developing alfalfa as a crop in China. And uh, so they stepped forward and said, we'd like to host many people from all over the world to come in and talk about alfalfa in Bengbu, China. And that occurred in 2015. And several of us were on the planning committee at that time, including uh, several from the United States and, and several from the European countries. Of course, the Chinese were, ter- you know, they were tremendous hosts. We visited there and learned about the Chinese situation. Um, they, of course, purchased a tremendous amount of, of U.S. alfalfa and, and into the country. They're a major customer for our West Coast uh, growers. So that was also uh, an important thing to have on the agenda to, to discuss with them. Now, this is the third World Alfalfa Congress. You were just saying the first one was in China. Where was the second one? Well, the second one was in Cordoba, Ar- Argentina, which is a major agricultural region in Argentina. Those, uh, some of your viewers may not know that Argentina is the number two producer of alfalfa in the world. Uh, you know, United States is number one. And of course, in the United States, it's either the third or fourth most important economic crop in the United States. But in um, Argentina, it's also a very, very important crop. And it's done quite differently down there for the most part, although it's the same crop that we grow here in the United States. uh, They use uh, non-dormant varieties for the most part. Uh, which are similar to the ones we grow in the southwest uh, part of the United States. But they do a, a tremendous amount of grazing. Even the dairies do a lots of grazing. They have over, uh, last time I checked, it was 8 to 10 million uh, acres of alfalfa being grown in Argentina, much of which is grown uh, under grazing conditions, either for dairy or for beef. And so that's a really a different system than what we have in the United States, which is uh, more focused on harvested uh, alfalfa and uh, in combination with corn silage for dairy production. And of course, we grow a lot of alfalfa for horses and beef as well. But um, in Argentina, it's a little different system. And it was a real opportunity, great opportunity for us to learn a lot about that system down there. Let's dive into the upcoming tour. It's in San Diego, right? That's correct. Yeah. So we have uh, upcoming, we're really excited about uh, hosting um So after these uh, two international meetings, the international group turned to the United States and said, we really would like you to host the the next one, the third one. And so we uh, somewhat reluctantly (laughs) 
<laughs> said, okay, well, I think, you know, I think we can handle that. And it turned out that they wanted the uh, West Coast to host it, particularly if it's in the, in the fall or winter periods. We needed to have a place that was warm. And so we selected uh, San Diego as the as the location for this. Sunny San Diego sounds pretty good for a northern guy. I think for for even our our folks from the United States should be tempted to come to San Diego, learn about uh, forage crops in November, and actually see them growing in November, uh, because we do have a, a wonderful tour plan for the for the conference, which will be on the last day of the conference. That'll be for the Imperial Valley. And if some of your listeners haven't seen desert southwestern agriculture, this is a tremendous opportunity to see that uh, we grow. Oh, each farmer probably grows six or seven different crops. It's centered around alfalfa and forages, but they rotate lots of other crops with that. They'll rotate, say, winter lettuce, durum wheat in the winter periods. They rotate it with uh, uh, Sudan grass in the summer. But uh, the desert southwest uh, between Yuma, Arizona and Imperial Valley, California, produces probably 95% of the winter vegetables for the entire United States, starting in, uh, say, November, December, when uh, the rest of the country is uh, <clears throat> under winter conditions. We have um, uh, seven 80 degree temperatures down there in, in December, January, and February. And so we're able to produce uh, the cool season crops uh, very successfully there. And so the, when you're on the tour, you'll get to see how that works uh, with uh, irrigation systems out of the Colorado River and how alfalfa fits into that uh, crop rotation situation for those growers. Uh, essentially, all growers down there uh, have such uh, interesting uh, crop rotations and uh, with a profitable crop such as alfalfa, but also very highly profitable crops such as uh, veg crops uh, down there. So that's going to be fun. Let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor. I wouldn't care what baler anybody was running. I would tell you that this is the best mesh there is, the best mesh. When I switched to Vermeer Net, the first thing I noticed was how strong the mesh was when I was putting it into my baler. It's tough, it doesn't rip, it holds together. The biggest impact Vermeer Mesh has had on my operation has been more time. That time savings, it's just, you got more money in your pocket or more time with your family. I'm Mike Levesey, and that's why I switched to Vermeer Net. Now, one of the uh, tour stops you have is the Lime Grubers. Uh-huh. And uh, it just so happens that uh, Andrew Lime Gruber has been a guest on this podcast before. To our listeners, if you want to go back and check out, there's a bonus with Andrew Lime Gruber. It's a really good one that talks a lot about the things that you just mentioned. Now, I'm impressed as an academic myself is how much innovation there is among our farming community. And, and the Lime Grubers have pioneered many different kinds of irrigation systems, uh, making them more efficient, both drip irrigation, overhead sprinkler irrigation, and uh, things something called automated check flood irrigation which is automated gates which can be programmed so that you irrigate on a on a regular schedule and makes it much more efficient uh, saving lots of labor but also making the system much more water use efficient and for anybody who's been following the news these days, in agriculture, we're going to have to be much more water use efficient. And these are the technologies, some of the technologies we're going to have to adopt in order to, to achieve that. And so this will be an opportunity for your listeners to uh, the people who attend there to learn about that uh, firsthand. Now, we'll, we'll come back to the World Alfalfa Congress here in just a second. Can you give us the headlines of what's going on and 
Now, I, I would call it the Desert Southwest. Desert Southwest is, you know, in fact, Imperial Valley and many parts of Arizona uh, get a maximum of three to four inches of rain a year in many areas, uh, especially the low desert. So that's insufficient for any kind of agricultural production. It's true desert. And so all of those regions are irrigated, either from groundwater or from the Colorado River Basin. And the Colorado River Basin goes all the way up to Colorado, Wyoming, Utah. All of these states are highly dependent upon the Colorado River. As many of your listeners might know, it's been over tapped now for a number of years that the utilization of water from the, from the Colorado River has exceeded supplies and it's becoming extremely crisis in many parts of the Colorado. And so all users are going to have to cut back. And agriculture being the largest user in the Colorado River Basin, most of the cities are looking to agriculture to give up some of their water for uh, for other uses or, or just to, to conserve water for conservation of the Colorado uh, River. The water levels in some of the lakes are getting so low that they're even a little nervous about whether they're going to generate electricity at some point. So there's no question that agriculture is going to have to play a part. But of course, um, we don't want to see agriculture hurt in those areas. So things are, are things are becoming quite dire. The um, I just heard last week that the um, surface waters for, for Arizona are going to be cut back for 2023. Uh, they're going to have to be totally dependent upon groundwater. So... So it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a rough period of time. We just hope that uh, we get uh, better snowpacks over the last uh, next couple of years, better rainfall, so that the reservoirs can come back. On that uh, on that happy note, that's not a very good. Uh, <laughs> but you know, that, let me let me say something a little positive about that too, yeah. because uh, oftentimes uh, you know forage growers, alfalfa growers, and uh, people who produce hay crops are, I think, unfairly uh, criticized uh, because we have a crop that uses, and admittedly it does use, uh, quite a bit of water per acre per year. Uh, but one of the things that a lot of people in the public do not know is that alfalfa is actually one of the best crops you can have in a drought. It's a crop that's highly resilient. Um, uh, it has a very deep root system. And we've been doing lots of research over the last, uh, many different states have been doing research over the last uh, 10 or 15 years on what we call deficit irrigation strategies. So in situations where somebody just does not have enough water, the question is, do you just get rid of the crop or can you partially irrigate it, produce at least reasonably good yields, keep farming alive in those communities? And I think the second option is a far superior one uh, because it enables us to keep forage production going, keep those farms from going under, and more, more importantly, the, keep the communities and the farm workers and the people who supply seed and fertilizer and machinery and, and the, so forth uh, in these uh, small farming towns, keep them from uh, the economy from, from dissipating too badly. So partial season irrigations, we've seen data from both California, Arizona, uh, Colorado, other states that have shown you can produce, you know, from 60 to even 95% of full yields under differing circumstances, it'll be different. But uh, in spite of the fact that you have to cut back water fairly substantially, even, you know, 20, 30 or 40% cutbacks. And so this is a crop that actually 
Um, we can keep growing during drought periods, and we can uh, keep the crop alive in spite of the uh, restrictions on water. I, I like your take on all of that. The infrastructure that supports the hay, in, uh, hay industry on the West Coast and California in particular is, is pretty valuable. I really, I really like your take there. Yeah, well, that's the, the, the part that, you know, people don't realize is these small farming communities, uh, you know, you have an, a crop like alfalfa that's sort of the basis of a food uh, chain, you know, a food system where you're producing uh, milk products primarily. Um, you know, the general public doesn't realize that, you know, when you start saying, well, let's cut back and eliminate these crops, then you're, you're essentially eliminating a, an important food producing system. And uh, so we have to be realistic about it. At the same time, we have to be, I think most people who are in agriculture understand the, uh, the limitations that we have with water, and with ongoing drought issues. Over, you know, this year, the Economic Research uh, Service has estimated that about 40% of U.S. alfalfa is under either severe or extreme drought conditions. And that's most of California, actually. Most of California... Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, and uh, except for your areas up in the Pacific Northwest, and I think you're in much better shape than we are up there. But it's uh, you know it's a it's certainly a very challenging uh, year for alfalfa growers. I don't know about much better, potentially better than certainly the Imperial Valley, and you know the San Joaquin Valley is is also under tremendous restrictions, um, and and partly because. Surface waters are related to groundwater, and you know the fact is, when we lose our surface waters, you're going to uh, have to depend upon groundwater, and and of course we're pumping groundwater resource. Too. Yeah, and, and we don't want to keep depleting our groundwater. So there's there's a real big problem there. Some so. some of my favorite pictures are the pictures of subsidence, where you've pumped so much water yeah. in California mm-hmm. that the the elevation is decreasing. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's, uh, that's a, you know, in fact, it's even had an effect on some of the canals that we have, you know, the canals no longer flow correctly because of subsidence, but uh, it's water flowing backwards from the way it was designed to. Exactly. You know, this is not a good outcome, you know, but, you know, back, back to the, the, the conference, I mean, water is a, is actually, this is actually kind of instructive because, Water issues are an international issue in f- for food production. You know, you have you have a country like Saudi Arabia that just you know that also has tremendous limitations in their water. You have a country like China that has a tremendous amount of limitations in water and land uh, for agriculture, and so this creates markets for hay production and for milk, for example, export of milk products. Um, and um, and so we have to look at these as international issues. Africa comes into play. The needs for the future for food production are tremendous, and and we need to be aware of the water issues and how important they are uh, for not only alfalfa production but for many other kinds of crops that we have to grow. Brings me back to our because uh, you know the topic of the conversation here is the World Alfalfa Congress and. The first day, we're going to be having a full day of training on water management issues and how to manage water in um, in alfalfa specifically, because there are many people, uh, not only in the United States, but around the world that uh, need to learn how to manage water more efficiently for uh, producing a high uh, yield level and a high quality of alfalfa crop. And so that'll be an opportunity uh, for everybody to learn about that. 
while we're at it, I have the agenda up in front of me here, looking okay. at Alpha Alpha in an ecological context. Well, on the first day, we're looking at the issues associated with Alpha Alpha as it affects cropping systems and uh, the ecological health of soils, as well as the atmosphere. And this is another probably topic uh, that doesn't get a lot of attention in the public is the tremendous amount of co uh, contributions of alfalfa to soil health, to crop rotations, uh, to mitigating climate change, uh, climate gases, absorbing CO2 and, and generating oxygen for the atmosphere. And so there's a, you know, there, it's well known, actually farmers understand this a lot better than the general public because they, they know what the effects of an alfalfa rotation are on, say, a corn crop or a wheat crop. A lot of people in the general public don't understand what sort of uh, so quiet service that this crop will give to uh, nitrogen uh, budgets. Uh, nitrogen is a, right this year is a very expensive commodity. And so you, you have, uh, we've measured around the country uh, uh, the benefits of alfalfa to a corn rotation, to the rotation with vegetable crops, to, to with wheat, with other crops. And, you know, between 70 and 200 pounds of nitrogen per acre should be credited to a subsequent crop, depending upon the condition of the alfalfa when it gets plowed under. But it's, uh, it's a tremendous contribution. And, and in fact, in many cases, a grower can completely eliminate uh, nitrogen applications to a subsequent grain crop, depending upon you know how much uh, is actually credited from the alfalfa crop. Uh, there's actually fairly decent data on that. It's something that you know, like I say, that farmers understand pretty well, but members of the general public don't understand as well. So, as that's part of the objective is making uh, making sure that we share information about alfalfa and crop rotations to the soil, but also for things like wildlife benefit. That's another one where I think farmers understand it a lot better than, uh, than do uh, members of the general public. Alfalfa provides this tremendous uh, wildlife habitat that adjunct value of the crop to uh, the general public. I can speak personally as someone who harvests alfalfa. The deer do quite well. <laughs> Sometimes not uh, highly welcome, but... <laughs> That's a good way to put it. The, the deer <laughs> are well-fed in my neck of the woods. Oh, elk elk like it for bedding even better. And, uh, you know, the elk can be uh, can do some damage. And actually, you know, we, we have other wild species that can do some damage to alfalfa, particularly gophers. But, it, you know, if um, actually, the, you know, on the positive side, I mean, I, I think we in agriculture need to make sure that people who are not involved with agriculture know about some of these uh, benefits to the society as a whole. And some crops have done a better job than that than others. For example, the Audubon Society actually has realized how important alfalfa is to bird, wild, you know, bird habitat, particularly uh, migratory uh, uh, wading birds that uh, you can find them. They prefer alfalfa fields over many other kinds of habitat. So, you know, that's part of the purpose there in that uh, session on the alfalfa in an ecological context. But I see that you hit on it several times throughout the the conference, uh, forage, climate, and soil health, mm -hmm. soil health and fertility. This, right. is a, this is a big theme in this. Yeah, and we're trying. Those are all issues that we want to try to bring forward. Uh, have a discussion about them. 
we won't always have an, an necessarily an agreement on a lot of these issues, but I think we, you know, it, like I say, on the uh, soil benefits, it's a good story that the industry should be telling, right? Exactly. You know, as an alfalfa person, I think that we oftentimes don't tell that story to the general public as in depth as we should. And uh, there's an opportunity here to have that those conversations. But there's, you know, there's a lot of other presentations on pest management. There's the whole first day is actually training on pest management issues, on um, irrigation, but also on, on machinery. That, so there should be some interest in some of the farm machinery. Innovation and forage equipment, I see that on here. Breeding, breeding alfalfa for the future. I'd love to hear your thoughts on breeding alfalfa for the future. What does that look like? I don't know if uh, some of your audience may not be fully aware. Some I remember when I about uh, 10 years ago, somebody told me, he says, you know, we live in the golden age of biology. And I I started thinking about that and I I started thinking, you know, he's probably right. You know, the degree of understanding of genetics and the way that um, uh, we can change plants and animals to become more resilient, more drought tolerant, uh, more resistant to to pests has uh, actually, our ability to do that has increased. You know, things that were when I was, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, when I was uh, studying these issues, uh, they were only sort of pie in the sky. And now they're a reality and they can be done uh, routinely. Uh, The marker assisted selection process. One of the questions will be, how can we envision a more resilient alfalfa crop, a higher yielding alfalfa crop, perhaps a higher quality alfalfa crop that will be, you know, there for our children and grandchildren? Uh, to take advantage of in uh, the next 20 or 30 years. So that's part of the uh, purpose of those talks on genetics. So the dates for the conference are November 14th to the 17th. Correct. And if you'd like more information on this, I looked this up so you don't, so we don't have to guess. Uh, if you'd like more information on this, you can go to worldalfalfacongress.ucdavis.edu. And there you can find hotel and venue information, the registration. Now, the early registration ends October 7th. Is that correct? Right. That's only in a few days. So I think we hope that people will uh, try to register early so they can save a little bit of money that way. You can also view the uh, the full agenda and program. It looks like there's poster sessions uh, for academic presentations. Right. Uh, and, and, of course, the tour is the, is the last day, correct? Correct. And, and also, we're going to have lots of exhibitors. I always really learn a lot from the exhibitors because there's a lot going on in the private sector. And sometimes, you know, you, you, you stop by a booth and you realize that somebody's been working on something for the last 10 years and they have a product out there that might be worthwhile to take a look at. Lots of reasons to come and visit and network. And- yeah, we have uh, actually quite a few people uh, registered from uh, the United States, but also from other countries. We have um, quite a few from Europe, uh, from uh, Spain and France and Italy. And uh, so we're looking forward to having a truly international conference. So I, I think your, your uh, audience will really enjoy it. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I do appreciate it. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. And I look forward to seeing you in San Diego. Yeah, hope to see you there. If you'd like to get some Hey Kings swag, you can go to hey-kings.com, where you can also find the podcast. Thank you very much to Nick Palmieri, our audio editor. Check out Palmieri Sound if you're looking to do uh, sound work. That's the place to go. 
And a special thanks to Jessica Palmieri, our social media coordinator. Thank you.